Hi, we're Dave Harvey. And Joel Atkins, Dallas Wolf, and you're listening to Steady State Podcast. Sit ready. Here at Steady State Podcast, we are really interested in backstories, real-life experiences on and off the water that make people the rowers, coaches, and coxswains they are today. From indoor rowing to flatwater masters to coastal and ocean adventurers, we celebrate you who represent the global humanity of our sport. Together, we disrupt and expand the narrative about rowing culture. We're your hosts, Rachel Friedman and Tara Morgan. If you're a first-time listener, welcome. If you're coming back for another episode, thanks for being here. On the last episode, we met Hannah Huppy, Phil Doyle, and Hunter Duell of Horizon Racing USA. The crew is several months into training for the 2024 World's Toughest Row, a 2,800-mile race across the Pacific Ocean from Monterey, California to Kauai, Hawaii in unsupported, man-powered ocean rowing boats. We talk about long, steady state sessions on the erg, stargazing, rowing into the unknown, competitive drive, cheez-its, and fundraising for Laureus Sport for Good USA. If you missed it, listen anytime at steadystatenetwork.com slash podcast or anywhere you get podcasts. Steady State Podcast is sponsored in part by Barb, Concept 2, and EB5 Investors. The place a lot of us call a second home, the boathouse, is on land with a long history. And the waterways we dip our oars in once provided sustenance. Know Where You Row is a campaign across the United States and Canada to explore the spaces and places where we row, which have been and continue to be the lands of the Native peoples who for centuries have stewarded them. Know Where You Row encourages rowing clubs to connect with the history of the waterways and land that they use. The team behind the campaign, Dave Harvey, Julia Gonzalez-Wolf, and Steady State's own Tara Morgan, are here to tell us more. What I'm looking forward to today with this conversation is that it's really outside of the sorts of other conversations we've had for the podcast. We've talked to rowers and coaches and coxswains and talked about those things, as well as a few other things, but never kind of this, a project that's tangent to rowing. And so that's why I think this is going to be really interesting. Rachel and I talked this morning about advocacy in terms of conservation. So, you know, some boathouses take on projects and initiatives like river conservation or water conservation or, you know, pollution in general. But in this case, I think the tangential thing is the agreement and the relationship with the plates. Sometimes people just come to the boathouse every day and they just go in and out and they do their thing and they don't just sort of take a step back and say, where am I? So today we really want to find out about uh, this project that we're working on. My name is Dave Harvey. I learned to row in Worcester, Massachusetts at St. John's High School. I rode at St. John's and then at WPI in Massachusetts. I have coached for 10 years now at Farmington High School in Connecticut, at Pacific Lutheran University, and now at Tacoma Row. When I'm not at the boathouse, I enjoy spending time with my family in the outdoors. My name is Julia Gonzalez. Well, I learned to row in Tacoma, Washington at Pacific Lutheran University. This summer, I coached for Commencement Bay Rowing Club. And when I'm not at the boathouse, I'm probably taking pictures. Dave and Julia, thank you so much for being with us today. We're recording on a Friday. How has your 
rowing week been on a scale of zero to 10? Uh, I would say for me, it's an eight. We had a kind of two week hiatus and just got back into it this week. And we're working with a couple of high school students who did not row in high school, but have upcoming college tryouts. And that's a kind of fun, a fun thing to work with them on and try to prepare them for that. I actually recently decided that I'm not going to continue coaching. And so that job just finished. And so I would say a one. I'm kind of sad about that, but I'm hoping to move my career along. And I'm really glad to be a part of Nowhere You Row so I can still stay in the rowing world. One thing we'd like to do to help our listeners get to know our guests is we put you through a lightning round of questions we call the hot seat. Are you ready? Yes. So here's how we do this. Each of you will answer every question and we'll go in this order, Dave and then Julia. All right. So we'll ask a question, then Dave answers and Julia answers. Okay. Port or starboard? Starboard. Port. Sweep or skull? Sculling. Sweeping. Bow seat, stroke seat, or engine room? Stroke seat. Stroke. Head race or sprint race? Sprint race. Sprint. Uni suit or tank and trow? Tank and trow. Uni. Favorite coxswain command to give or receive? There's so many that come to mind. And, I've, and I listen to your podcast all the time, so it's, <laughs> I should have an answer prepared. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think last 10. It's so common. That's um, fascinating. I, I, just, um, I just wonder if like, that's when people really start listening to the coxswain. Like, that's all they hear, the entire nice. race. Yeah, it's like Charlie Brown up until that. <laughs> it's like you hear last day, and everybody's like, you know. <laughs> Sorry, Julia, did you have one or did you also say that that's one of your favorites? Yeah, I said empty the tank. Oh, empty the tanks. I like that one too a lot because I think I like that idea of there being fumes in the tanks that, that you can use up. For sure. Favorite place to row? Charles River. Nathan Benderson. Oh, Nathan Benderson in Florida. Yep. Best piece of rowing advice you've ever received? That's tough. Yeah, I think that there's an art and a science to it, and you need you need both. Oh, boy, this is so hard. Oh, probably Anything that we're all, yeah, we're all one machine. Was it a Dave Harvey-ism? <laughs> no, that was uh, my coach at PLU. Okay, last one. Uh, coffee before or after a row? After. Uh, before. All right. Awesome. Well, you made it through the hot seat. Thank you for answering our questions. We all know you a little bit better now. We always ask our guests, what was going on in your life when you learned to rally? And Dave, I know you've been on the podcast before, but we still want to make those connections for folks. And uh, we'll put a link of episode where Dave was, was on the podcast before. But so we'll start with you, Dave. Um, what was going on with in your life when you learned to row and what got you hooked? Sure. So I learned row as a freshman in high school. I had intended to try out for the soccer team in my high school. Um, but after meeting some of the, the rowing team over the summer, I just got kind of hooked on their work ethic, um, the way they supported each other, kind of the pageantry of the sport. You know, growing up in Lake Quinn where they host Eastern sprints, like we would see the big races, the big teams come in, um, that sort of thing. And but I think after meeting the athletes and spending some time at the boathouse, it just, there was no, I didn't even go to soccer tryouts. I don't, I don't think I would have made it anyways, but I didn't even go. All right. So I have nice. questions for you. All right. So you're in Worcester. Can you say the name of that lake again? Because I rode on that lake a couple of times and I never say it right. Yeah, it's Lake Quinsigamond. Quinsigamond. 
I think I put the Are you serious? on space. That's where you, you think, that's how you say that. Yeah. I think I've been wrong and I think I say quinsigamon. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of people shorten it to quinsig. Oh, quinsig. I like that. Well, I bet that's related to our topic today too, the origin of that name. So good good on us. Good on us for learning how to say it correctly. Yeah. Uh Julia, so what was going on for you when you learned to row? And why did you get hooked? So my sophomore year of high school, we went into our little machine room in PE and I hopped on an erg and put on the fish game. And I thought, you know, I mildly enjoy this and I've never been athletic in any sense. Hand-eye coordination, horrible. And I was like, you know, this is actually something I might enjoy. Then in COVID, I had to take an online PE class. So I started working out and thought I wanted to keep working out. And then somehow I figured out that PLU had a rowing team. I don't even know how I thought to look into that or if I just remembered that one good erging experience, which is so shocking now that I'm a rower thinking erging got me here. Um, And so they had I was deciding between two schools and I knew I wanted to row. So I chose PLU and joined the rowing team. And I've never really done sports, but I started working out. I wanted to keep going and I got into pretty good shape. Let me tell you. Yeah, it's amazing how your body can change, especially in like that first year of rowing. I remember having yeah. rowed for about a full year. And one of the women who I really respected on the, our competitive program came up to me one day and she's like, you got rower shoulders. I'm like, yeah. And so like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I on that yeah. the other day. Like, wow, your shoulders look so broad. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> So I have a question for both of you. You mentioned what got you hooked, but what would you say you love most about rowing these days? Um, I mean, I think for me, you know, Tacoma Rowing has been up and going for about a year and a half now. And we just bring so many new people into the sport for their very first time. It might be their first time ever on the water in any sort of small craft or large craft. Um, We have people, a lot of people who've never been on a rowing machine, anything like that. And just seeing that like enthusiasm and learning and growth, whether they come down for a day or they start and stay with the program. We work with a lot with youth and adults. Like it's just that when you see that energy and enthusiasm uh, and that discovery period, it just, yeah, it's so easy to get up out of bed and get to the boat. Things. Well, we don't have a boathouse, but a boatyard. <laughs> At first, I really liked the mind-body connection, but I think this season I really found a mind-body water connection, which is also why I was really intrigued when I got Dave's email. But just how I've grown and how I feel like I have a connection with the body of water that we primarily row on was such a new and interesting experience. Yeah, I like the way you say that because there's a way that we often can be locked into our seat and in this sort of tunnel vision in our seat in the boat and we're just kind of doing the work and putting it in. And here on Bastion Islands, you'll stop and there's, you know, seals and jellyfish and you're really like in tune with what's happening. Plus, the water actually can damage the boat. So we keep the boats very clean and we are always meeting uh, challenges with the salt and, and all of that. So it's both sort of tactile and visual and the beauty of sort of looking up and around at what we're where we're rowing. I wanted to talk to Dave for a second about Tacoma Rowing. I know that this is a club that you started just within the last couple of years. Could you talk to us a little bit about what the impetus was behind that and how things are going? 
Sure. Um, as I mentioned earlier, you know, I grew up in Worcester, Massachusetts, uh, about 40 minutes outside of Boston. And Tacoma is actually very similar, kind of analogous to Seattle as Worcester is to Boston. Um, so it's about the same size compared to the larger city, similar demographics. You know, there's a body of water right there. And when we first moved here, I just, I couldn't believe there wasn't a rowing program right on that waterway downtown. Uh, I was coaching at PLU, which rows on American Lake. And, you know, that with traffic is anywhere from 20 to 45 minutes from downtown. And so when the pandemic started and our spring season at PLU was cut short, we decided to kind of really make a push to get a youth program established downtown, uh, worked with the parks department. And, you know, the whole goal was to bring rowing to communities that had no exposure to rowing before. You know, so the way we phrase it is, we want kids who no one in their family has rowed. They've never been in a boathouse, you know, that sort of thing. Um, those are the communities we really prioritize with our outreach. And so, yeah, we we run youth programs. We do a little bit of adult work. Like we have a free classes for BIPOC entrepreneurs. You know, we do some kind of learn to row with different groups. Like we did one Wounded Warrior Project over the summer, um, but primarily focused still on the youth side of things and just the general community outreach that we do. Remind me, Tara, how you and Dave are connected. How did that happen? Oh, I think just, you know, our Pacific Northwest rowing community is really small. And I think that we just, uh, I think Dave, maybe you reached out to me or we met and uh, we're in such close proximity also with Vashon Island and Tacoma. Like from the South Ferry, I can kind of see where Dave rows. And so it it really is important to support clubs like Dave's and like our tiny ones like Clam Island rowing or Kitsap rowing or Olympic Peninsula rowing. And so um I just think sharing our resources and sharing information is is critical, especially for startups. I think people starting clubs is kind of a thing, and um, there's definitely a body of knowledge. So now Dave can pass forward what he's learned uh, on to the next person. So I think we just reached out, you know, hey, we should know each other, you know. Yeah, and Tara's <laughs> been very helpful. So. Oh, yeah. Thanks for ask, not asking me to be on your board. That's what I am. <laughs> <laughs> it crossed my mind, but I... I know. I these time the com- other conversations, I was like, I probably shouldn't ask. So. <laughs> it's all the free information you want, but no. <laughs> Tara, I've been talking with you for a few years now about all sorts of things rowing related. But one thing that you have kind of dropped into conversations on and off for the last three years is this notion of understanding where we row and acknowledging the land and the waterways. And I was kind of wondering where all that curiosity was going to take you and if a project would develop out of it. Where and when did you start thinking about this, really? Well, I think you can't help but think about it when you're in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, Reparations is sort of a constant message. We have a few projects here. Uh, real rent Duwamish, where we actually pay a monthly donation to the Duwamish tribe for rent, essentially, that we are on their land. It's it's always sort of a constant conversation. There's longhouses, there's celebrations, there's canoe journeys. It was just a canoe journey that came here to Vashon Island. And, you know, this was probably five or six years ago, maybe even more. But you know how when you're sitting out at a regatta and you're just waiting around, right, for a lot of things to happen, hurry up and wait, right, at a regatta. And I was at a regatta in Lake Stevens, Washington, which is northeast of Seattle. And I thought, who's Stevens? That's really where it started. I said, who's, who is this place named after? And I did a little bit of digging. You know, there's some great resources here, one of them being Mohai, M-O-H-A-I, Mohai.org, which is our Museum of History and Industry. 
um, a beautiful museum and a wonderful archive of Washington history. It turns out Stevens is named for Isaac Stevens, who was the first governor of Washington State. And he was sent out on assignment out to Washington State to basically settle it and, and make things happen here uh, for the white European settlers. When you dig a little further, you don't have to go too far, you find out that there was a lot of controversy and that he was actually kind of a genocidal maniac. He was given this task by the U.S. government to settle these areas, and he had to run out and basically use the, they used the word exterminate the people who were there. So I'm thinking, why would you name a place for someone like this? And why would you name this lake for someone like this? Okay, so that aside, it's done. We've had that conversation all over the U.S. about statues that are still in place, flags that are still flown, you know, all these buildings that are named what they're named. But I was like, what did it used to be called? What was it called when the tribe was active here? This is a huge lake, and it most definitely would have been used for recreation, food, life. What tribe was here? So that led me through this whole process of like, wait a second, how do we peel back the layers? And then I thought, what if every boathouse which a lot of boathouses do land acknowledgments. That's a very popular thing to do. Sometimes a bit performative, but in, in most cases, people are very genuine and they try um, to at least name the tribes that used to be there. Um, but why aren't we doing that with the waterways? So that sort of opened up this whole research idea of what was Lake Stevens called? So I reached out to the tribe. There's these huge tribal offices. I didn't get very far. You know, it was really kind of hard to find information about that. So I got to thinking, well, we need to connect the boathouse to the water, to the tribe. And then I just kind of sat on it for a few years and I met up with Dave and we talked about it. And then the ball just started rolling and, and here we are with the project. City State Podcast is sponsored in part by Breakwater Realty Group. Daydreaming of new lakes, rivers, and coastlines to row and play on? Consider a home in Maine, the Breakwater Realty Group, brokered by EXP Realty, can help you find your home away from home or relocate to a new primary home with ease. Connect with the team by visiting breakwaterrealtygroup.com and scheduling an obligation-free buying consultation. Maine, it's the way life should be. Listen to more episodes about everything from indoor rowing to rowing across oceans. Search the podcast archive at steadystatenetwork.com slash podcast, or listen on your favorite podcast app. And while you're there, could you leave us a review? When you do, it helps our podcast get noticed and reach more ears. In two, we're back with Dave and Julia. That's one, two. It seems like where you are in the Pac Northwest, this is really in that top of mind, it's definitely something that folks there are aware of, right? Yeah. I mean, there there were tribes, so many more tribes than I think we we really think about or acknowledge that were across the entire country. You know, specifically about the Pac Northwest, for folks that may not be connected to that area, you know, that's commonly known to include Oregon, Washington, and Idaho, and sometimes the Canadian province of British Columbia. I was reading that the Pac Northwest Coast at one time had the most densely populated areas of indigenous people ever recorded in Canada, which is interesting to me. 
I'm going to address Julia, but certainly if one of you or the others have an answer to this, that'd be great. Can you talk a bit about if and how Indigenous people are acknowledged today in the PAC Northwest? So in experience, uh, a lot of events that I go to, there will be an acknowledgement at the beginning that we are using Native land. So things like graduations or even concerts, and not just at professional levels, at high school, you know, games, things like that. So it's more of a public more of a public service announcement, but I know that there are also plaques or physical ways that people try to acknowledge that when there isn't an event happening. It's become a regular thing. I first started seeing acknowledgments at the beginning of meetings when I joined a board here on Vashon Island. And the board president was, it was a lengthy acknowledgement. It wasn't just a, we are on the unceded lands of this tribe. It was we owe these people for this. We owe these people for that. And so when people think about land acknowledgements and how to use them, using them as announcements or, or posting on their website, it's just kind of a couple of ways of doing it. And I love that people are learning the language, like how to actually say it. Like here on Bashan Island, the tribe was called the, the uh, Squabash. And it's spelled like S apostrophe X A dash, you know, and it's fantastic. But we've all learned how to say it because that's important. Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's been interesting to see that Puyallup Tribe has a, a very big presence in Tacoma. And one of the cool things we see every day in this area, there's a yard science project where they commissioned some local artists to make eight different designs kind of celebrating either the stewardship of the land by the Puyallup Tribe or the values of the Puyallup Tribe. All the signs are in their native language. They're beautiful designs, and you see these signs all over the city um, in people's yards and in businesses and things. And it's a really cool example, I think, of you know the tribe working together with local artists and then the community supporting that. They're, really, they're a great thing to see. We did one here on, on National Island, and what was great was it was done with an artist from that tribe, but it was also given out for free to anyone who wanted to come get one at the uh, museum here. And they sold out in half a day like they were gone in half a day people loved it so much do you have one at, at Tacoma Rowing uh we actually placed an order for about uh, 20 or 30 about 30 of them I think because oh, nice. they wanted to have with their, their houses and we'll put them up in the boatyard and things so oh I love that you're a distribution center that's awesome I actually heard kind of a, a sad story yesterday that was that Joseph Oregon is actually named for Chief Joseph's which was a uh, uh, part of a tribe that was actually run out of the area and someone thought oh well let's just name the town after him that that's what i'm so fascinated about in this process like what's the naming process like how do we get to these kinds of names and i actually ordered a book from our library called the naming of places in america and it talks about like how decisions are made and when things kind of come about and why don't we ever change the name of something like mm -hmm. would you change the name of Joseph Oregon to the name of the tribe as an as an, an honor. So um, I think it's interesting in terms of this project where referring to the waterway in the original name could be pretty cool or a, or a boat naming, you know, some way of, of recognizing. So Tara and Dave, you've met by way of being in the same sort of rowing circles there out in Washington state. Um, and then, Julia, how did you get connected to these two crazy people? And could you talk about uh, this campaign that you've all started? 
Yeah. So I wrote at PLU the year after Dave left. And so we didn't know each other that way. Um, But I did some marketing work for him last summer. And then he emailed me with this opportunity this summer to join this project with him and Tara. I'm just their grunt. Uh, They're definitely the idea people. But yeah, so this project, Know Where You Row, is about acknowledging the land and history and respecting that the waterways that we row on as rowers because the water is obviously such a big character in rowing and so just learning more about that and acknowledging the history of the history that's there and that kind of goes unrecognized and one reason why I thought this was interesting because I'm really interested in history and this idea of what is truth and yeah. whose whose perspective are we looking at it and how can we find kind of the purest version of truth, which is really what this project is all about. And so we want to help other clubs, not even just in our area and not small clubs, all clubs, waters, you know, because not everyone has a boathouse, not everyone has a designated water. So really just anchoring ourselves with these waters and finding the history and the names and, and doing our best to acknowledge that. Well, like one interesting thing in, in the research is like looking at, you know, New Zealand is like way at the forefront of like, it seems like doing all this stuff, right? The place names are listed in the Maori language and English. And like, they're so good about just kind of wrapping elements of the native cultures into almost everything they do, mm-hmm. especially sports. And so it's interesting to see that as an example of where things could go uh, and how, you know, the whole society seems to benefit from it. And we're kind of at the beginning stages of trying to figure out what that would look like. So taking this project kind of from Tara's brain and connecting you two to it and starting to think about how to connect clubs and rowers to their waterways. Dave, how will Know Where You Row help rowing clubs connect with the history of their waterways and lands? One big part of what we're trying to do is not necessarily say you have to do this, this and this, right? You have to do ABC. We want to provide resources and support and examples of what things have, what people have done. When I think about my experience on the East Coast and my experience in the Northwest, um, different boathouses, the different waterways, the different communities, you know, what is the presence of the tribe in a particular area? There's just so many possibilities. I think we want to steer clear from saying, okay, you know, we want clubs to do these three things. You know, I think we want clubs to connect with local tribes would be the ideal. Whatever steps it takes to get there, we want them to take and we want to help support them on that. And then I think, you know, we've all talked about in our meetings, if we can get that connection with a tribe, I think that opens the door to different types of programs and discussions and that sort of. So yeah, not, not trying to prescribe exactly what needs to be done, but just trying to provide support and resources to meet clubs where they're at and help them move along the journey. Yeah. And we might find in our research that a tribe has been completely exterminated and to use that horrible language. And how do we honor that? How do we memorialize that? We also might have a situation where the tribe is very active in that area. And that's an incredible opportunity to invite them to your club, invite them out for a rowing day, learn about the sacred waters. Yesterday, I just absolutely stumbled into a University of Washington project with this kid, Owen Oliver, who was a student at the University of Washington, developed a walking indigenous, an indigenous walking tour of the University of Washington campus. And he actually took the worst Washington rowers out. This is an a article that I read. 
where he took the rowers out and talked to them about the sacred waters on which they row. And I'm like, we need Owen. We need to meet Owen. So it's like one thing leads to another to another. And each club might find more connection with one thing over another thing. So I like how Dave said it. It's not prescriptive. It's opened their mind up to this possibility. This is just like, how do you engage? And I think clubs are so myopic sometimes. Let's just get through the day. Let's just make sure the boats work. Let's make sure the launch boats are operational. Let's make sure the coach shows up. Let's make sure the kids get to the regatta. And I like that idea of what is a club? What makes up a club that opens its mind to conservation? What is a club that opens its mind to engagement in a non-traditional community? What's the club that opens its mind to its history? This is leading into a question I had because, you know, I've seen a handful of websites, uh, club websites that offer some sort of acknowledgement of the land and waters that they're using. I've talked also to some club administrators who said, yeah, I wouldn't mind doing an acknowledgement, but I feel like it's really performative. And both Tara, well, actually, all three of you have started talking about the ways that we can move beyond that and take another couple of steps so that it's not just performative, but actually connecting the club and the rowers to the water, connecting them to the tribes. So can you just talk about that a little bit and moving beyond the performative? Yeah. So we want what we're doing to actually have an impact for the club, for the tribe and for the water that's there, which kind of like Dave was saying, is going to look different for um, a lot of different tribes. And so whether that's just the name and I mean, even if the name changed, I mean, that that would be a really big thing. But whatever that area needs, every every body of water is going to have its unique needs. And so if a tribe is if we're working with them, which is a goal that we have, they will maybe let us know what their needs are or how they think we should carry on what they would like to feel respected, which is going to be different for a lot of tribes. Every tribe is a different size. Every tribe has, you know, a different amount of money and are doing different things. I know that the Nisqually tribe here is trying to buy back a lot of their land. And so every every tribe is going to have these different resources and different needs for going to work for them and what they want so that it doesn't feel performative. And I think the, really the way to do that is to include the tribe and to not just assume that what we're doing is, is best for them. Yeah, I, to me, that's the most exciting part of this is to find a maybe a historian at a tribal office and really have like a face-to-face meeting and maybe even go visit the waterway together. And we're just going to do some kind of test runs here in the Northwest because it is so rich here. I'm imagining that we'll successfully connect with a tribe or a historian at a tribe or a storyteller at a tribe and get to go visit the waterway and hear what's happening. One of the deliverables, if you will, of this project is going to be graphic design of signage for people to put in their boathouse, not only of the waterway, but of the, the land, is of course. And Julia's been working really hard on creating our logo and creating our look and potentially later creating that that graphic, whatever that is. And so the club will be able to post that on their website, on their walls, put it on their jerseys, you know, whatever they want to do. In addition, in return for us providing the service of doing all the research and doing the connections and everything, we're asking for a donation and we want to pass that donation on to the tribe. So we're hoping that boards 
and organizations will sponsor this initiative for their club because we know that time is really scarce in a lot of clubs. There may not be somebody who's like, all right, I'm going to follow your one, two, three steps and dig into researching this for myself. Why don't we just do it for you? Because we're going to be developing the system anyway. And then give us a small donation or a donation and we'll just pass that on um, to the tribe, you know, and really and then get you connected. I've heard that discussion about as performative and that sort of thing. Um, and I think a lot of what we talk about with Comoroing and trying to reach out to groups that haven't been involved in the sport before, right, is what signals are you sending? And so in a sense, I can certainly see how people would say, you know, landing volunteers are performative, but what if you don't do it, right? What signal are you sending by not doing it? And so I think it's just, it's a, it's an important step. Um, and I think as long as tribes continue to say that they want to see land acknowledgements, then that's an easy step that we can do. And it's important. We always step back and say, okay, what signal are you sending by either doing something or by not? And we'd rather send this signal that we're doing. You're right. I mean, it's a simple acknowledgement, but it's an acknowledgement and that's important in and of itself. And then the other thing I think we've talked a little bit about is kind of that model of like your comfort zone, the learning zone and the growth zone and applying that to this project. A lot of clubs are either in the comfort zone, firmly affixed in the comfort zone or in the learning zone. And I, you know, I think we're, I'm, our club in Tacoma Rowing is, is definitely in the learning zone, but we want to move into that growth zone. And I think the analogy we've used with, you know, some of our athletes and the board is this is the same thing we would do with the rowing itself, right? It's like getting out of your comfort zone and getting into the learning zone. And then you get out of the learning zone into the growth zone. And that's where kind of the magic happens, so to speak, right? And so why wouldn't you do the same thing with this type of project? If people are interested in finding out more about the Know Where You Row campaign, where can they find that? So there is a, a Know Where You Row page on the Tacoma Rowing website. We also have on Instagram, uh, it's at know where you row. Just try to keep things simple. And then know where you row at gmail.com if you have questions and want to email us. Our goal with that page is to also display the clubs that we've worked with and the waters that we've found or helped get the, the history for and to kind of display that and show others so people can come to the website and research and kind of we we have resources for you, but then you can also learn about these other waterways and to kind of have photos and maps and things like that. We have a really easy, fast survey that people need to do to connect with us. You can use the survey as a self-reflection tool as well as a way to connect with us about your efforts. So the people who should fill out this survey, it doesn't have to be someone in charge. Basically, we ask questions like, have you done a land acknowledgement? If no, why? And we give a bunch of different uh, options for them to choose from. So we're, we're not trying to push you up against the wall and, and say, shame on you. But we're just trying to find out like, oh, OK, so lack of resources or lack of knowledge or and how can we then help out? Well, thank you so much for sharing all of this. It's been exciting for me to see this developing after um, having heard Tara talking about it for a couple of years so I can't wait to see where this goes and who gets involved and what sorts of connections you're able to create for folks between clubs and tribes I think this is huge and super unique thank you for having us yes I'm definitely very excited for this to grow and hopefully for everyone to know where they row yeah thank you for helping us spread the word 
to see photos of Dave and Julia and get links to the people, clubs, and events mentioned in this episode, check out the show notes on our website. Thanks to a special group of our patrons, Jill M., Bobby K., Dave H., Arthur W., Lenore A., Chelsea V., Stephanie M., KCD, and Alan M., whose support helps make this podcast possible. Join our team for as little as $5 a month at SteadyStateNetwork.com slash Patreon. Steady State Podcast is sponsored in part by RowSource, providing creative design services for clubs, organizations, and regattas. Get the design help you need at RowSource.com. Steady State is more than a podcast. We also get together on Instagram Live for coffee chat every Friday morning at 8 a.m. West, 11 East. We bring that post-practice coffee with teammates vibe online to talk with the community about all things rowing. Grab your favorite mug and add your voice to the conversation. Get more info when you subscribe to our weekly e-newsletter. This episode was written, produced, hosted, and edited by Rachel Friedman and Tara Morgan. Tara provides additional audio engineering and is our sponsor coordinator. Rachel manages our website, social media, and e-newsletter. Our theme music is by Jonas Hipper. Between us, we have nearly 40 years of rowing, coaching, and coxing experience. Tara is based on Vashon Island, Washington. She founded Seize the Oar Foundation in 2010, is fanatic about coaching Learn to Row, and believes the pair is the best boat. Rachel is a longtime rower, coach, and coxswain in Washington, D.C., She's the owner of RowSource and is a tiny bit squeamish about sculling. Find us on Instagram and Facebook at Steady State Network, Seize the Oar, and RowSource. Coming up on the next episode, we talk with a club coxswain with cerebral palsy who keeps pushing past preconceived notions and winning medals. Catch new episodes of Steady State Podcast every other weekend anywhere you get podcasts. In two, way enough, that's one, two.